This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, episode 52. That's it, like as in 52 weeks in a year. It's beautiful. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to episode 52. You know, I was just thinking in my math, we do two episodes a week here, and if we're at 52, then that means we are we're six months into this show. This baby's six months old. It's burping, it's eating, it's pooping, it's crawling. Six-year-old, six-month-old, do they crawl? I don't think they do. Never mind. We're still just sitting there. We're just sitting in our little boppy chair, and I, sheesh, I don't even know where we're going with this, so let's let's get off this track real quick. Hey, welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? My name's Grant. Great to have you here as we continue the story of uh, sharing other stories and helping people find and do work they love. Hopefully, these uh, these interviews are uh, encouraging and inspiring to you. really means a lot that you're hanging out with us. Know that you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. Maybe you're sitting in traffic right now, and there's plenty of other things. You could be listening to the radio. You could be talking to your significant other. You could listen to any other number of podcasts, but for whatever reason you're deciding to hang out with us, really means a lot. Really appreciate that. Hey, today we've got a great interview for you with my friend Richard Bimke. Richard's a guy who has done a couple different things and worked in a couple different, he's worked in the nonprofit world, um, worked in a little bit now in video production and video editing and just tried his hand in a few different things, trying to find a spot that makes sense for him. So we're going to talk a lot today about just uh, getting out of your comfort zone, about how your journey may be all over the map and how that is okay. So let's get into it. Here you go. Episode 52 with Richard Bimke. Enjoy. All right, what is up? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend Richard Bimke, who is a uh, video extraordinaire, video maven, you might call him. So Richard, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, God, you called me a maven. That, that's a lot of pressure. These interviews, they start out, there's, <laughs> now I got to dispense advice and sound like I know what I'm doing. Now we just push the ball downhill and let it roll and <laughs> see, see, where the, see how soon the train goes off the tracks. So give us a snapshot. What, what is your business? What is it that you do? Sure. So my business, uh, the name of my business is Vibrant Motion. And what I do is I produce videos for for companies and for brands. And so that might mean creating a testimonial for a brand that has a client that they want to feature, or it might be a product description, or it might be a kind of who we are and what we do, or it might be a travel video about an experience. But they're all live action videos, nothing animated, all kind of trying to tell a story that really kind of connects with an audience. Typically, they're in the two to four minute range, but I've done some longer, but uh, basically working to, to create something that looks beautiful, that conveys a message and, and is going to be interesting for the viewer to watch. More just kind of web videos or do you do any type of commercials or anything online or it's beyond online? Much- yeah, it's pretty much all web-based right now. Most of the stuff is things that are going to live on a homepage, um, working with a brand that's doing some stuff that they have a, a private e-course that we're filming some stuff for them. So it, it's all web-based right now. There's nothing that's been kind of uh, had a larger distribution like commercial or television or anything like that. Beautiful. All right, so let's backtrack a little bit here. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in New Hyde Park, New York, which is a little beautiful tree-lined suburb just outside, about 30 minutes outside Manhattan. And grew up on a nice street, 
with uh, two loving parents and an older sister and had uh, about a good a childhood and an upraising as one could hope for. Which is rare in this day and yeah. age. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. In fact, I was, I was telling someone the, uh, just the other day I was on a plane and I told someone I'm a speaker and, you know, travel around speaking to a bunch of different events and they're like, oh, cool, what's your story? And I was like, I don't really have one. I, you know, had a few little bumps along the road and a few little hiccups, but overall my childhood is pretty uneventful. And so I think sometimes people, they expect some, you know, what, what, where did your life go wrong? It's like, I don't know. I think I turned out all right. So, uh, so yeah. it sounds like you had a pretty decent childhood. What did you want to be when you were growing up? The first thing I can remember wanting to be was a, an architect. I remember that was the thing I said the most. I don't know where I first heard of that or what, I, what made me first want to do it. I played with Legos a lot as a kid. Nice. So maybe that was something that my mom popped in my head and said, oh, you could be an architect. And I remember we were doing house renovations. And so I got to go you know, meet the architect who was doing the designs and, you know, play with the computer program at the time. And, and, and it just seemed like, oh, I'm going to be an architect. And it wasn't, I don't remember thinking like, oh, here are the things I need to do to be an architect. It was just, this is what I said I'm going to do. I'm going to do this thing. And then it was up until the point where I realized there was a significant amount of math involved. And I think that dream quickly just burnt out. I was just like, ah, this might not be where I'm and going. And numbers aren't that yeah. important. Yeah, yeah I, I like, I'll just like looking at houses. That'll be better than building them. <laughs> when you were, so once you're kind of uh, hitting high school and starting to prep towards college, are you still kind of on that architect path? Or is it, did you realize numbers are involved at that point? Or where are you headed at that point? No, I think I went off the – like math was, was good for me up until about junior high, about seventh, eighth grade because I actually really liked it before then. In high school, I, junior high, I didn't really know. Later in high school, I started doing some service organization stuff and traveling around a bunch and was serving as an officer. And this these two words – or these two phrases like public speaker, corporate trainer, that was what I kept telling people I was going to be. And so when I graduated high school – I was like, they said, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up and what are you going to major in? And I would say, I'm going to major in business and I'm going to be a public speaker, corporate trainer. And they'd say, what does that mean? And I'm like, oh, you know, you speak to people. And I didn't know. I didn't really know, but it just sounded cool. Yeah. (laughs) Just like I'm going to speak and train. I'm going to train about speaking. You know, just those, they're interchangeable. Uh, But that was what was in my head. Um, I didn't really know how I was going to achieve that or how that was going to happen. But, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but it actually ended up, I kind of went in the back door about nine years after that, something like that, and ended up becoming kind of both of those things. But uh, that's where I was in high school. That was where my head was at. Nice. And you went to, uh, you went out to, went west for college, right? I did. I went out to uh, Arizona State. I wanted to go away. I knew that there there was a scholarship available. I was so confident I was going to get it. Again, completely misguided (laughs) in thinking just like in ninth grade, like, oh, I'm going to get a scholarship. We would vacationed out there and seeing the school. I was like, oh, I'll go here. And there's a scholarship. Yeah, I'll go for free. Eventually ended up getting that scholarship through luck and fortune and all that good stuff. But I was, yeah, I I wanted to go away. I wanted something really significant. I wanted kind of a a tremendous college experience. Why did you want to go away so bad? I just knew that... I knew I didn't want to stay home. I knew that because I saw I saw what happened to those people in my neighborhood. And I think I had always liked traveling and I always liked new experiences. And it's become kind of a hallmark of my life that I get in. I, I want something really bad. I get it. And then I'm kind of like, oh, crap. Like, what am I doing in this scenario? And then I have to work my way through it. And I just wanted to go really far away because I, I had this vision of myself as this, like, I'm going to be this big, super incredible human. And it was just so exciting. 
I kept telling everybody that I didn't, I wasn't going to bring pants to college because it's, you know, it's, you know, super hot there all year round. I just, it seemed sexy and it seemed awesome and it seemed like a big thing. And I wanted to do big things. There's real value in like putting yourself into just uncomfortable situations just to stretch yourself and stretch your comfort zone. So it sounds like in some ways that's what it was to you. Just like, all right, this is way outside the box and uh, yeah, it's pretty out there and you've got that going for you, but this is not what I'm used to. This is not what's been normal for me. So it sounds like that was kind of a, a big stretch for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my whole life is one big uncomfortable situation, so there's no real comfort zone. Every time I think I'm in a comfort zone, I'm either horribly, horribly wrong or I'm in the wrong place. And so it was just, I got out there and I thought, yeah, this is going to be exciting. And it was really hard. It was really hard for me for a lot of reasons. I felt like I was the only person who wasn't recently released from a zoo. I felt like everybody was kind of out of control and everybody was kind of lashing out. And then I got sick and it was this kind of thing of like, oh my God, like, what am I doing out here? And I, I actually, at the end of that first semester, I was struggling through classes and I talked to my parents about like, oh, maybe I should transfer. Maybe I should go somewhere else. And, you know, they, they were supportive. They wanted me to stick out the year because my mom and my dad thought if I could make the year, then I could stick it out. And I actually got a great pep talk from my uncle and basically talking about how he had kind of had a similar experience when he went to college and, and he wished he had stayed because he ended up transferring. And it was the first time when I was in my life where I didn't, I wasn't able to just quit something that I didn't want to do anymore. I really had to stick it through. And that was, um, it was a bit of a slog, but it was, you know, that you, you raise an interesting point. It did become this, this first proving ground of like, all right, you made this decision. Now you have to, you have to make this work. Yeah. And I think in sometimes some situations just in life, it's good to, to put yourself in those spots where, you know, like I'm all about, you know, being smart about something and, and, taking some risk, but making it a a calculated risk where if it doesn't work and it really just, if it really goes off the tracks, I mean, worst case scenario, you could move back, but just putting yourself into a spot, like I got to figure this out. Like we've got to make this work and uh, putting yourself in a position that really stretches you and challenges you just to, just to grow as a person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that actually just came up a couple or last week I, I traveled uh, a friend of I, a friend of mine, and I went to uh, Oktoberfest in in Germany for uh, for we were over there for about uh, ten days, and she hadn't traveled uh, left the country but once. And I've I've traveled, uh, I've had the good fortune to be able to leave the country a couple times. And I was talking about how travel for me is that because you're always in a situation where you don't know most of the information you need to know. You don't know the language, you don't know the currency, you don't know the people, the streets, all of that. And so you really have to become, I was joking about it. It's like when I walk into a subway, I become Jason Bourne. I kind of like look around. I'm like, all right, where's the exits? What do I have to do? How do I get on the train? Where's the map? All right, I got to find the end of the line. There's a Russian guy chasing me. And so I try and make it, you know, kind of like a game that way. But it really has been this incredible uh, gauntlet for me and in giving me confidence. Travel has always been that for me. But I've learned just what you were saying about I really, really revel in those opportunities where I don't know everything and I have to kind of figure it out because you come out the other end and you feel like 400% of yourself. It's I really, really love those those kind of experiences. Seeing yourself as Jason Bourne. I'm going to have to do that more. I'm getting, I'm <laughs> traveling this afternoon. I got to head back to the airport. I travel quite a bit. So I'm always like, you know, like when you travel, I don't know, maybe you just, you kind of see people differently. Like, I wonder if they're, are they with the CIA or are yeah. they watching me? Am I being followed right now? And you watch enough of those Jason Bourne movies and you just, you have this, uh, 
uh, I don't know, this paranoia or something that everybody's out yeah. to get you or something. Sure. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jason Bourne isn't walking around with like a croissant and a pretzel in his hand, which I am. So I'm like, I'm like a slightly more, you know, approachable Jason Bourne with, <laughs> with less martial arts skills. Very much so. So when you're in college, what are you studying at that point? Are you, where are you wanting to go? I start out business because I'm going to be in business when I grow up. So I'll study business. Like Public that speaker, was, corporate trainer. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's a business. So I will study business. No concept really that like, you know, I never looked into what courses I would have to take beforehand. I just started doing business because that was, you know, everyone's, oh, you should major in business. It's a good major. And I'm taking econ and I'm taking microeconomics and I'm taking calculus taking calculus multiple times because I'm not, I'm not passing it. I'm taking all of these classes that I do not enjoy. I'm not doing well in and I'm miserable. And it took about a year and a half to, to get to a point where I realized, oh God, this is, this is really bad. And I had a mentor who I met this woman one night. She was a mentor for a couple other people and an advisor for an organization. And she said, why aren't you majoring in communication? And it was one of those things where I opened my mouth and no words came out because I didn't have an answer. Yeah. And she talked to me. I was like, well, what, what is communication? And she talked to me about the major. And, and I just – I was like, that seems like what I want to do. It's interpersonal and it's gender and it's all these things that I really – and public speaking. Hello. Missing the <laughs> boat here. It's public speaking and all of these things. And it was – that was a, a big eye-opening. Her name's Arlene, Arlene Chin, and she changed the course really of my college career, which was really just – it was a miserable experience with classes up until that point. Uh, and, it, and that changed everything. What was it about that conversation that, that caused the light bulb moment to go off for you? I think it's because I'd been in a year and a half. I'd been doing business classes for a year and a half and I wasn't enjoying any of them. I wasn't enjoying the subject matter. It was really hard for me. I consider myself a bright, intelligent individual, and I was like struggling for Bs, and I was, you know, struggling to to pass these things. And I was spending all of my time in tutoring. I felt so embarrassed, and I felt kind of ashamed, and I'm I'm at risk of losing my scholarship because I'm not passing these classes, and I have to maintain this average. And it was just after all of that time spent doing that stuff, and she said, "What about all these things that you're really good at, that you really like, that are here for you?" And I was kind of like, oh, like I don't have to beat my head against a wall. I can walk through this door over here. Yeah. Interesting. So once you wrap up college, what's kind of the, the path of travel you're on? When I left college, I was like, I want to get a big job at a corporation and have an ID and swipe it through the you know main gate and stuff like Sounds that. Sounds like something Jason Bourne would do. Exactly, right? And then I punch everybody before I leave. Uh, <laughs> but I come, I didn't get any job offers straight out of college. I knew I could move home. My parents said you could move home. And so I moved home back to New York. And I was bartending uh, just to make money. And I just started applying. I applied to, you know, jobs, jobs, jobs. I was originally looking to get a job in publishing because I really liked men's magazines. Because, again, <laughs> my deluded, you know, view of the world is like, I'm going to be like a man, you know, like I want to be like a manly man. So I'm going to go work for a men's magazine. That's how that works, right? And so I applied for jobs. And uh, the first job I got was about four months no, about three months after I graduated, I got a job as a sales assistant because it was the second job I was offered. First job just didn't sound good. It was the second job I was offered. And I went in saying, you know, this isn't what I want to do, but it's a salary and insurance and all that stuff. And if it's worse comes to worse, I could quit. And uh, seven weeks later, that happened. <laughs> you were only there for seven weeks? I was there for seven weeks. I was there for about five weeks. I started the job as like, I was an assistant, you know, helping them do research and stuff. And as soon as I started, they're like, all right, here's your sales quota. You have to make this much in commission a month. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what I signed up for. And it was just a miserable, sad 
just depressing place. And so I just, I kept looking and I gave my two weeks notice after seven weeks uh, and got a job working for a major magazine, which I eventually stayed at for two years. But yeah, I was just, I was just not happy. And I wasn't, I was like, I'm not going to be unhappy at work. I'm not, I'm not into that. All right. Let me ask you this though. Cause I think some people who, you know, they, they start some type of job and it's, you know, it sounds like out of school, it's like, I'm just looking for a paycheck and I'm just looking for a way to, to make ends meet and I want to eat and live indoors. And so therefore they're going to pay me. It's fine. I'll tolerate it. I think most people, they just, you know, they find something and they just become numb to it, you know? So five weeks in, into it and you're miserable and seven weeks you're out most people are like ah it's you know it's work it's supposed to be miserable you know so you just put up with it and as long as they're paying you it's good so what caused you to finally go no no, no like i'm not going to keep doing this like enough is enough rather than just kind of writing it out and becoming numb probably self-delusion again i mean that's, that's probably responsible for most of my decisions i just i just didn't believe it like i just don't believe that work has to be miserable or that anytime somebody says you have to that's like a like there's like a light bulb in my head that's like don't listen to this person don't listen to this person because that that have to there's no greater way to motivate me than to tell me that I can't or I have to and so whatever whatever you're talking about I'm going to do the opposite on those and um it's, there's just something in me you know I've been thinking about this quote recently that I don't know where I heard it but there it goes uh, there's something in a runner that doesn't love a wall and there's something in a rich bemke that doesn't like a limitation. And it's not something that like, you know, I would, if somebody said to me like, you can't pass calculus, I'd probably be like, no, you're right. You are absolutely right. That is a thing I can't do. But it was something like, oh, you know, you just have to do this. And I just, I think I'm capable of more. I think there's more out there. And I just, I'm, I'm a really positive person. And I just see, I just saw so many things I wanted to do. And I just didn't, I could not, it did not make sense based on all I knew about the world, even at 22 or 24 or whatever age, that this was the best it could be. That I'm all for putting in the hours and the work and the time, but you know, I just, I didn't know this yet, but I felt it that it didn't have to be this depressing. I knew there were cooler things out there and it's, it wasn't, I should have felt like my soul was there and not shriveling. Yeah. Interesting, interesting perspective. And I think, uh, um, unfortunately, so many people are just like, no, it's, it's work. You're supposed to be miserable. You know, you're supposed to hate it. And you're supposed to, your soul is supposed to die. That's where it goes to die. So <laughs> why would you accept anything different? So once you leave that, did you have the men's magazine lined up or do you just leave cold and like, I'll just figure it out from here? No, no, I, I'm sometimes uninformed, but I try not to be blatantly stupid. Uh, and so I, uh, I, I got the job. I was at a publisher and they published three magazines, a music magazine, a celebrity magazine, and a men's magazine. And so I got a job with them. And so I gave my two notice when two weeks notice when in honesty, I probably get, could have given them two hours notice because I sat for two weeks and did nothing. <laughs> but I, I had the job lined up and I started basically, you know, I, I, my last day was on a Friday and I started the next job on a Monday. So what was the role at the, the men's magazine? It was basically I was working for the parent company. So I was working with all three magazines. And I did licensing and business affairs. What was that? It was the licensing Sounds and business glamorous. affairs. glamorous. Right? Doesn't it? But uh, I basically played Mad Libs with contracts. So I would license covers of our magazines to movies and to talk shows and stuff like that. And then we had international editions. So I would spend a lot of time kind of coordinating, sending those things to uh, sending those magazines all around the world. A lot of time with a, with a tape machine and packing up boxes and calling FedEx and stuff like that. It was fun because it was a, it was a really, really well-recognized company. So telling people that you, you work for, you know, a popular magazine and it sounds cool, yeah. but it, it was about, I don't know, 
it was sometime late in that first year that I realized that it wasn't enough and I needed something more because once that the shine was off the apple or whatever metaphor suits you, I realized that I needed something and I wanted something a little bit more. How long were you there before that you start feeling that? Uh, it was, I think it was towards the end of the first year maybe because I ended up staying for about two years. I think it was there 22 months. And so it was maybe after the first year that I started to kind of get itchy feet. Are you questioning something in yourself at that point? Like, why can't I just find something I like? Or are you just thinking, no, this is no, like I'm getting closer to it? Like, was the magazine closer than uh, what the previous gig was? Or are you just feeling like, ah, I'm still all over the map? Yeah, I felt like I, <clears throat> I'd gotten closer because I was working for a good company. and But it just felt like I, I didn't question myself because I was still young enough that you know, I was, I'm 23 at the time and I'm still, I'm still living at home. I'm looking to get my own place. I'm saving up money like crazy. And I just knew there was something more. And I, I've never been somebody that was like, oh, this is going to look bad on the resume or I need to stay here for longer. I just felt like I don't want to waste my time because I spend so, when I'm unhappy in something, I spend so much time thinking about how I can be out of it or going to do something else. I wasn't really questioning myself that doesn't happen until like 26 and then that happens a lot <laughs> from that on. But, uh, but no, it was just, I'm, I, I want to find something else. And that, so that's when I started later that year, I just started trying a bunch of stuff. I started, I took an improv class. I, I did an open call for a modeling contest <laughs> talking about nice. self delusion. I was just trying a whole bunch of stuff because I was like, I don't know what, what is going to make me feel good. But what I landed on was I'm going to work for a nonprofit and do something altruistic, and that will make me feel better. And guess what? It didn't. But uh, that's, that's what happened next. What made you think that that was the, the next fit? I just thought that I, I was like, all right, you know, I was working for a celebrity, these really popular celebrity magazines, and it was, I think it was a pendulum swing in the other direction of like, you know what? This is just, this is literally. D- disgusting me. I would go through these magazines about like the celebrity lifestyle and I just, I could not stomach it. It made me nauseous that, that this was something that was being so highly valued. And I was like, I need to, what is, you know, at the core, what is something that is meaningful and significant and I'm, something that actually means something to people. And so that's why I think I landed on a nonprofit and, and doing something in that realm. Well, I think you bring up a great point there where kind of in that interim there, you're trying a bunch of different stuff because I think sometimes people, we, we have some idea of what we would like to do, but you don't, you don't necessarily know until you get into it and try it. And so maybe from the outside looking in, you're going, man, that magazine, that, that's it. If I can just get there, that's it. And then you're like, eh, you know, parts of it I like, parts of it I didn't. And then you see the nonprofits like, man, if I could just do that, then that's yeah. it, you know. And just being willing to try a couple things just to continue to learn about yourself of what you're good at, what you enjoy doing what you're passionate about, how those things translate into the best possible fit. So, so once you make the jump to the nonprofit, how long are you there before you realize, man, this, I don't know that this is it either. That was pretty quick um, because I walked into something that was kind of a mess. And, you know, you, you go into a new job or, you know, a new relationship, you're like, oh, this is great. Everything's amazing. And then, it, you know, the glow kind of fades. That, I never had that at the nonprofit. From the very beginning, I was like, you know, trying to get my footing in the beginning. I was like, well, how come this is this way? And how come this happens? And it seems kind of ridiculous that we do things this way. And that quickly, uh, that I was just, I was very unhappy there. And that's when I started to kind of, I don't know if that's when I started to question whether or not a job could make me happy, but it was, it was definitely something that then I started really reaching because I'm like, all right, well, I got the job that I wanted. I didn't like that. I didn't trying to do something to help other people and and it's not making me feel good. 
And so then I really started uh, reaching and just trying a bunch of different things because that's when I start to question myself and say, what am I doing? Is a job going to make me happy? Do I have too high standards? Should I pack up and travel the world? Which I couldn't at that point because I now had an apartment that was mine that I was responsible for. And, uh, and so now it's like, all right, well, how do I make myself feel good in this environment? Because I was, I was really unhappy for the two years that I was at that nonprofit. Do you, do you feel like you're having a quarter life crisis? Well, I always joked about like, if I'm having a quarter life crisis at 25, that's awesome because that means I'm going to be a hundred. And so that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. I like that math. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> that math I can do. Yeah, exactly. So people always talk about that. I was like quarter life crisis based on how, how long we make it should really have been five years earlier. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes those, uh, those type of titles uh, bother me. Um, because I feel like it's something that we just say, Oh, it's, we easily ascribe to it or, or, or say that that's something that, oh, I'm at this age. That's something people talk about. That's what I'm going through. Because it wasn't something – I'd never felt like, oh, man, everything's great and now I'm suddenly questioning everything. I've been like hedging or, or, or sorry, kind of chipping away at this idea of like what I want to do and who I want to be and I'm not quite there yet. And so I don't feel like I'm at a quarter-life crisis. I just – I'm starting to get really frustrated that I don't know where I fit and what I want to be doing and I'm tired of being tired, uh, whatever I'm doing. Yeah. You kind of alluded to this earlier, but okay. So you're at the, the nonprofit for a little while and it sounds like you, you, parts of it you enjoy, parts of it you don't, but at, at the same time you realize like this isn't a good fit. So how do you differentiate between, I like the work, I just need a different setting versus I just don't like this at all. And this just isn't the right fit for me. Cause I think there's some people that listen to this, like, I really like what I'm doing. I just hate my boss or I hate my company or I hate the place, the setting that I'm in. I would much rather do the same work, but do it for myself or do it in a different environment. So how do you kind of differentiate that when you're kind of going from place to place? Sure. I think it was because I, I was pretty honest about looking at that stuff. And, you know, I looked at you know, I didn't know, again, I didn't know much about nonprofit before I started. I thought it would be great. And, and I learned a bunch about what I was doing. And when I started there and realized I was a fundraiser and how it actually worked behind the scenes and that it's a lot more bureaucratic and it's a lot more paperwork. And it's not, you know, you're not putting food in people's mouths. You're implementing, a, you're raising money to fund a program to distribute funds to other agencies that will actually put the food in people's mouths. And you know, maybe it was something that I, I just didn't feel good about myself that I, I really needed to do something and actually see that result. But I didn't like the work. I wasn't really happy at the company. And I realized that, all right, this isn't it either, which goes back to like getting into something and realizing what, it, what it's going to be. It was just, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I spent a lot of time talking about it. And I think that you know, writing about it as well, trying to flesh out my ideas about it. But it just, there was nothing there that was like, oh, maybe I should stay here. There was nothing, nothing that really kept me interested. And so I, I thought I, I needed to go somewhere else. This is one thing I've heard from a lot of people. And I personally, I, I experienced myself and I, 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 I tell people a lot, but what is it about writing that helps bring some of that clarity whenever you're, you're just kind of processing and you're just thinking, what is it about getting it on, on paper? I think for me, it was that you have to move forward because when you have thoughts, you can just sit with that same thought and just – it's like having uh, worry beads or something. You can just like run your thumb over the same one over and over again and just think, oh, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy. But when you're writing, you can you can certainly write, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy in your journal. But if you're writing about how you're feeling, it's by nature – a process that continues to move forward. And so you, I'm unhappy. I wish I was here. Is this something about me and going through kind of the, the thought process? But like in order to write something that actually makes sense, as soon as you write down a thought, it's kind of out of your head 
for that moment, uh, at least it was for me. And so that it's, I always, you know, equate it with going to a well, you know, if you, if you don't use the well, maybe it'll stay full, but if you go to the well repeatedly and you empty it, it will refill itself. And that was kind of what it, writing was for me. It was a way to kind of empty those thoughts that were just gathering moss and then get to the new ones that would come up and, get, and come through. And so it forces you to actually move through the thoughts and face them and deal with them as opposed to just like staring at the same one like it's a magic eye poster. Yeah, for sure. Magic eye poster. Oh, those were glorious back in the day. So, uh, okay, so whenever you kind of wrap up the nonprofit world, you're just processing your thinking, your writing, you're just trying to figure out what comes next. Where do you land from there? Well, I, it took me a long time. It took me a year of applying to jobs to find one and to, to get because it was it was tough at that time. This is like 2000 and I started at the nonprofit in 2008 and then I around 2009 I started applying and I didn't get hired till 2010 and I said, "You know, it's startups are sexy and fun. Everybody's going to work for a startup, so let me see if I can find one." And ended up getting hired at a small startup in in New York City. I went in for a group interview, which was uh exciting for me because that was a dynamic I was very comfortable with because of the things I'd done in high school. And so I was, you know, I'm in a group interview. There's a panel of eight people in front of me. I'm being interviewed with seven other people and some people really stressed out, didn't handle it well. And I, and I loved it. I thought it was a, I thought it was a great opportunity and that came through and I was, they were hiring for two jobs and they offered me neither of them. They offered me a third job that they hadn't really fleshed out yet. And I was able to to start at a startup, which was really, really exciting and suddenly felt like I was a lot closer to who I was as a person. It's interesting. I, I, I think this is part of the power of you know hearing people's stories on the show is that you know a lot of times we look at what you're doing today. You're doing videos, so we just assume you've always done videos. And the path of travel that you've taken to get from point A to you know to where you are today is just all over the map. And yeah. I think that's important for people to realize, like almost just give you permission to to just try a few things, and you're going to find some things that like that really clicked, that resonated, and then I tried this thing, and it wasn't even close. Then I tried yeah. this thing, and I'm getting a little closer, but I'm still a ways off. And so, when you're at the startup, is it clicking? Is that it, or or what, what's your thought at that point? I just feel like when people say things like, "Oh, I have to stay," or "I can't go," it's like, no, you're afraid to, or you don't want to. It's that again, that have to. I just feel like, you know, there's 8 billion people in the world. It didn't make sense to me that I could be in a place and not be happy and that I had to stay there. And so when I get to the startup, it's super fun. I've got a brand new computer with two screens and there's beer in the fridge and free pastries on Friday and I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops to work. And I'm like, all right, this is great. This feels more like who I am as a person. But I had this weird kind of prescient moment three weeks in where I was like, this is really cool. And even though I think this is going to be really amazing at its best, I don't know if this is going to be enough. And in the long run, I ended up being right about that. It was, you know, kind of crazy, but it was something I really enjoyed for longer than I enjoyed any of my other jobs. So even in three weeks into it though, and you're identifying like, I'm going to enjoy this, but this isn't the long-term solution. Are you immediately questioning yourself? Are you just starting to be like, okay, what's wrong with me? Why can't I find something? You know, it seems like I'm there for no less than a month at any one place before I realize this isn't a fit and I'm starting to plan my exit strategy. I'm starting to Jason Bourne my way out of this. So <laughs> is it messing with your head at all? Or is it, are you just kind of like, nah, this is the way it is. Now that doesn't happen for another year. 
at that point, after those three weeks, it was such a wild, crazy, amazing ride. I mean, we went from 50 employees to 300 in two years. Wow. You know, it was the place to be. It was everybody knew who the company was. It was an amazing experience. Everybody was my age. It was a wild ride and it was incredible and I had a blast. It was just, I, ca- I could see that like I wouldn't be there forever. And the, the COO actually said to me once, she's like, I think you're really talented. She's like, I can't believe that this is going to be your last stop but I'm excited that we have you for as long as we do. And that was, that was flattering and it you know, felt good to be seen and acknowledged for that. It wasn't until we started to become a big company and I'd had several iterations and I realized there was nothing else at the company I wanted to do anymore that I started to be like, all right, now what? Now I've, I've done all the things that I thought I wanted to do. I've had these amazing jobs. I've had this incredible experience at a startup do I want to go work for another startup? Do I really want to be in a company again? Or I was just really, really tired of sitting underneath fluorescent bulbs, honestly. And that was something that I I really started to make me question. And I started to really, really reach in my, about halfway through my second year at that job. Where did the, uh, the, the video piece come in? At what point did you start doing some work with that and realize maybe, maybe this is it, maybe this is my thing. When I was at the nonprofit, I started doing video contests because, like I said, I was reaching. I was trying to get anything. And I entered this video contest for this job in California where you'd live on a winery and make 10 grand a month for six months. And you had to make a video to enter. And so I had taken a screenwriting class, which was one of the things I, I was trying. And so I wrote a short 60 second script, filmed the video with a borrowed camera and borrowed actors. And when I say actors, I mean friends. And of 2,000 videos, I made it into the top 50, which was wow. kind of like, hey, you're, you have an, a, an ability at this. And so I just started entering video contests. I think I entered a dozen, and I won a couple of them. So that was something that I was like, all right, this is a cool thing that I can make. And that really brought me back to something of being able to really feel gratified and doing something. And so while I was at the nonprofit, I was making videos I also started writing plays and then producing them and self-producing those plays because that was really, that felt so, so good. And so I was making stuff and doing the stuff on the side and I started doing a web series and I started doing a video blog. And so it was just stuff that I could do on my own and it felt good and it was fun. And that was something I really, really latched onto. I couldn't wait to get home and do those things. So that's when I started with video. It's always interesting to me that so many times, uh, so many people we've talked to that are the thing they're doing today was something that started off as just kind of like a little, a little side hobby, like just a little thing. I'm just tinkering with it. It's just kind of, it's kind of fun. It may turn into something, it may not, I doubt it, but it's just kind of fun to play with. So why is it for, even as you're describing it, you're like, I was doing this video thing and man, it was just, I came alive and it was just so fun. Why is it that you didn't see that as like the next logical option for you? Because I'm slow sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, I think, like, I think, I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. but I think a lot of sure. people are in the same spot of going like, yeah, I've got, the, you know, I'm, I'm in my job and I hate this, but this thing over here, I love doing and I'm really good at, but it's just a hobby. It'll never be anything more than that. It's like, but why? Like there's a skill set there that you've got that you could translate into a lot of different ways. So why does it have to just be a hobby? And some things are good as a hobby and they don't need to ever turn into anything more. But what was it that maybe held you back from, from seeing the opportunity that was right there in front of you. Yeah, I never I never thought about it. It was never like, oh, I want to make a career out of video. I was really just hoping I was going to sell one of my, the screenplay that I had written. And I'm like, oh, if, even if I just make $50,000 off of it and then I can live for a year and I can write another one, like I had crazy plans. But what what actually really was the, was the catalyst was working at the startup and seeing like we didn't really know 
what we were doing. A lot of people, we were just kind of making it up as we were going along. And even though we had established founders who had this was their fourth startup and they were able to grow it to, to massive sizes, you know, it was it was that uh, that seeing people like create something from nothing and realizing that like oh like you don't need to know everything before you get started. That really gave me the confidence and kind of the self permission to to kind of pursue that because i just i never looked at it. it it was just amazing right i'm the the things in my life that i was closest to i sometimes haven't seen and that was it just gave me the confidence that working at that startup was was kind of a grad school education a you know a teach for america type experience where i was just in the weeds and it really helped me feel i think confident in myself as an employee or as I was. It was the first time in my life where I felt like I was really good at a job, and I was recognized for that, and that felt really good. Nice. Looking back over your entire journey today, again, your your trajectory, like all of us, has really been just all over the map. Just to kind of wrap up, is there anything that you would do differently, or anything that you would you would change about your path, or do you feel like you wouldn't be where you are today had you not gone through the you know the all over the map journey that you've been on? No, I think. I can't imagine changing anything because even the things that didn't go well that I screwed up, I learned so much from. My life has just been so fortunate. I'm so lucky. But I think the only thing I might have done is just started trying things sooner and, and realizing that not there is no one thing that is everything. And so I try and fill my life with the things that I like to do, which I didn't know what those things were when I was 22. But now today I know those things are not just making videos for other clients, but doing some for myself and writing poetry and writing scripts and going to museums and, and figuring out that if I'm unhappy with something, you don't have to you don't have to know what the answer is. Just do something. Just move in a direction. You don't have to move towards the thing specifically. You might not know what that is, but I've always tried to at least try to do the things that I wanted to do, the things that interested me. And I think I was lucky enough to to have those opportunities living in the city that I did. But action, action always caused opportunity for me. Beautiful. Action causes opportunity. I love that. Great way to to wrap up and sum that up. Hey, uh, Rich, if we want to find out more about you, if we want to follow you online or check out some of the videos that you've made, where can we go look you up? Well, my business site is vibrantmotion.co, and my personal site is bemke.com, and there's a whole lot of letters in there that you might not anticipate, and it's B as in boy, O-E-H-M as in monkey, C-K-E.com, and all my stuff is there. Yeah, that spelling makes no sense, but we're going to go with it. We're going to go with it anyway. So, Rich, man, appreciate the time, buddy. Enjoyed the chat. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Richard. Great stuff there from him. As always, feel free to go to uh, grantbaldo.com. Check out the uh, the show notes links, everything that we discussed there. Really good stuff. You know, one of the things that I really liked that we talked about there was just getting out of your comfort zone, you know, and, and, and leaving some type of job that you hate to pursue some type of job or career that you love is not easy at all. It's always going to be a step in a towards a thing that you're just like, man, I... I don't know how this is going to work out and this may go well or this may be a complete disaster, but you got to, you got to take some type of step outside your comfort zone. You know, another thing that we talked about there is that your, your journey to figuring out what it is that you want to do, it may be all over the map, but that's okay. That's all right. Allow yourself some of that freedom and flexibility to know that you're not going to, you may not go from that thing that you hate to that thing that you love overnight, that it's just, a, it's a process. It's a journey of finding clarity is really, really, really hard work and just understand, give yourself some permission that that is okay. 
As always, uh, feel free to email me anytime if there's anything that I can do to help you uh, as you're kind of processing your own journey. Email me at grant at grantbaldwin.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Grant Baldwin. Would love to hear from you. Love to know uh, what you're wrestling with, what you're pondering. Also, if you haven't had a chance, feel free to leave us a uh, rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher. Really, really appreciate that. That always means a lot. Helps other people find the show. And uh, and if you haven't also, uh, just feel free to share the, the show with people. Let people know, hey, this is something I've been listening to. This is something that's been helping me, helping me think through and process some, th- some stuff. So uh, share it with people. Share it with people that you like. Share it with people that you don't like. All right. Do them a favor too. They could use some help. All right. That wraps up episode 52. Thanks for hanging out with us for these first six months of the show. Really means a lot. Really appreciate you. Really dig you. I like you. I'm for you. I'm cheering for you. You're awesome. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.